Hey, hi guys, it's Geraldine speaking. How are you? You're good. I really hope you're good. First off, before we start this podcast episode, I just wanted to say I'm sorry. I'm really sorry it's been a month since the last one, which was the big live extravaganza. If you haven't listened to the live show, please do. It it came up really, really well and it was a really fun show and the audience that were there just go to show when you hear them how how much of a joy it was to perform and also thanks to all the guests that were a part of it. But I'm sorry it's been so long because unless, you know, you've been following my Facebook or the Bang on the Strillers Facebook or my Twitter and the Bang on Strillers Twitter, which all of which you can follow, you may not be aware that I've been in hospital. I am okay now, but it's been a good five weeks of um, really boring medical stuff, you know, to, to, to not be in colossal pain and, yeah, thank God for antibiotics or I would have died. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just saying that science is great and we should celebrate it because... As much as I respect the healing vibes, it's it's really about, you know, the scientific experimentation which has led us to this point where we have the kind of drugs that were required and the kind of medical skill that were required to discover that there was an abscess on my leg which was preventing the drugs that we discovered from working anyway. You can catch up with that later. So I just wanted to say hi and um, sorry it's been so late. I do still have a bunch of episodes to edit that are in the um, backlog. Uh, including this one that's coming up now. Uh, I'm going to get through the ones that I have saved as quickly as I can so that you all realise I haven't forgotten about you and also so that I can really call up all those friends who I asked to be involved in the podcast a long time ago and they went, yeah, yeah, sure, before it gets to Christmas and they all get booked up for stuff. Okay, um, once again, really sorry, hope you forgive me and uh, let's get on with the podcast which was recorded in May 2016. It's nearly September. Sorry. Hey there, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 17 of Bang on the Strillers, the cabaret podcast with me, Geraldine Quinn, your host. She's alive! This episode, I am talking to the king of Perth Cabaret, Thomas Ford, about embarrassing teen fashion, being a crap goth, Peter Andre's first album, sport art hybrids, and a whole bunch of other stuff that we spoke about before I realised I was going to be out of action for almost three months. This was recorded before the June Melbourne Cabaret Festival, during which I was actually on a tram in Melbourne. I don't know if you noticed that, but I mentioned it, so I should mention it here. I'm not on a tram now, though. I'm in a tiny, tiny room with Thomas Ford. Let's get into it. find some for you. There's a kitchen. Oh. Are well, you going to be right with coffee? We can always pause. Maybe. Sorry about my stuff. Oh my god. <laughs> so used to this is this is pretty much but my recording. How do you get anywhere near time. it? Uh, I don't. I move this one here. Yeah, yeah. We oh. could use the drawer. <laughs> we could take the drawer out check, and put check. it upside down. Does this sound slightly Oh, I you talk? I'm talking now. I'm talking now. And now I'm talking. And now I'm talking. They're two different channels. I can actually do a little bit of tweaking. Oh, okay, cool, cool. That's good news. Are you actually going to wear my headphones all the no. way? No. 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 Go? Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's cool. Just that wait. was. All right. Thomas Ford, welcome to Melbourne. Thank you. Welcome to a cupboard in Melbourne. <laughs> I. I choose the most glamorous environs possible. <laughs> and can I just ask the, what, the question that's on everyone's mind, have you seen my face on a tram yet? I haven't. I've been looking. I've been looking. You've got to go to Waddle Park. Yeah, I know. I'm not, I'm, not go, I'm not going to fucking Waddle Park. I don't even know where that is, but it sounds like us. I don't know where it is. I live here. <laughs> you're from Perth. I don't expect you to know where yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe that's wherever that is, that's where your demographic lay. <laughs> Well, it will be now. Please book. <laughs> please book. <laughs> so you've um, you've flown over for just tonight, is it? Yeah. Well, it's kind of uh, 
T- tonight I'm, will be in the past to anyone who's listening. Oh, yes, yes. Sorry. It's, it's sold out anyway, so it's <laughs> it's potentially outside of your ability to buy a ticket. Um, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I'm, t- I'm in the middle of like this national tour with this non-cabaret show that I do, uh, Crap Music Rave Party. It's like a DJ format. I play bad requests. Uh, do you take requests before the actual night as well? I do. I take them on the Facebook, but then they have to write it down because I tend to get tipsy and forget. And also, like, you never know if anyone's in the room. And if someone's requested something really obscure and you play, like, you know, first album, Peter Andre, and they're not there to, like, freak out about it, then it just dies. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Mm. But it's fun. I do, like, there's video projections and I run around clowning a lot and costume changes and stuff. Oh, no. What was that? That's right. Just water. Just water. Don't panic. Don't panic, homelessness. Oh, my God. He's bumped everything. Just ruining everything. Dear God, I can't explain how small the room you have is. It's what do you think this room actually was? Uh, well, the place is called the nunnery, so I'm going to assume that it was a place where like a, a sad nun kind of lived for a while and, and desperately tried not to, not to masturbate on a nightly basis or is something this like that. How much room God needs? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's enough. It's enough room for you, like, for your life to feel small and sad. I think, like, <laughs> if you're living here all the time, you'd just be a little bit like. Mm. But it's okay if you if you're going to fly in from Perth to do one sold out crap psh, rave music psh, dance party, whatever it is. It's pretty good. It's my it's, last one too for the, like this tour that I'm on, so I'm pretty stoked. It's a good idea. I really like it. High concept. I don't even really have to do any marketing for it now. It's nice. It just. Oh my god. Yeah, like like I mean, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about later, my cabaret stuff is painfully weird and difficult to market. So having something that is uh, um, so easy. It's been so long. How long have you been doing it for? A good ten years, surely. Yeah, about twelve, thirteen years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you're more electro kind of cabaret, and you are dark and weird, and <laughs> but I know what you do, so I'm sort of. Um, I understand when you're sitting there going, but the show's not really about a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, at least with, I guess, I guess with my cabaret stuff, uh, I mean, now, now I tend to make shows that are about things and they're kind of, uh, I've got interested in narrative writing, but yeah, I built up this, like this one batch of material that I'm probably best known for that it's this kind of confrontational electropunk batch and that, yeah, like for years you'd just be like, oh, what do I... What do I, what do I, come, just come. Just come to the <laughs> show. Come. Please just come. But you're going to end up this weird kind of king of cabaret in Perth. Well, yeah, but like, by default. I mean, by like, default? <laughs> <laughs> there was no one else. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, it's, uh, I mean, that's not, that's not fair. There's a, there's a really strong burlesque scene in Perth and, and actually like Fringe World has brought out a surprising number of cabaret performers from Perth where you're like, where where, where you were you yeah. and what <laughs> happens to you for the other 11 months of the year? You just disappear. Like There's there a WA people. Yeah. Oh, like there who? Are, no one I could name. Okay, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I can't think of anybody. You just look through it. Like the, the program just kind of is, is like the cabaret section of Fringe World is quite bulky and a lot of it's local content. You know? I know uh, I know a lot of burlesque people because they move over here. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Do you think? Yeah, that Perth, the chip on their shoulder about the eastern thing is. Um, yeah, I got it. I noticed it. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not worse than New Zealand, like to Australia or something like that. But it's uh, it's kind of. Adelaide to Melbourne as well. Just... Oh, yeah, Adelaide to Melbourne is quite sizable, though. Adelaide just wants to be Melbourne. And Melbourne just wants to be New York or Berlin, so... It's know. not that far. <laughs> it's like Melbourne to Adelaide, the, the, the kind of harumph that I've occasionally heard from people yeah. in Adelaide. I don't, I don't really rate because I sort of think, well, we're, only, we're not that far apart. Yeah, but the problem is, like, when you live in a city like Perth or Adelaide, like, the experience of being in the arts is of watching your friends slowly vanish. And they, yes. they move to Melbourne or... But that's, London. That's yeah. Australia, generally. Yeah, yeah. But like Perth, it's just it's constant. It's just like... That's why you're so vehemently um, passionate about local work. And so is so, so South Australia with, mm. with the grant system and the arts as well. It's really local, local, local content because... Um, and that's what Australia needs to do as well. Yeah. But, I mean, to be fair to that, like, I mean, if you look at the funding skew for, uh, like, uh, like, national funding, I think it tends to be that the East Coast will get more 
Yeah, because there are more artists there, but that's not what I meant. Uh, to a limited extent. Um, I, I, think, I, yeah. meant, I meant that WA government's own arts funding yeah, yeah. is structured in a way much that you would more likely expect a city council to be here, which mm. is City of Melbourne Arts Grants, is it about Melbourne, then you're going to get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I don't know that the creative Victoria is quite as... Stringent Victoria E. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's just like it's really... I mean, it's hard to be an artist anywhere. It's spectacularly hard to be an artist in Perth. The audience is really limited. Mm. And, the, um, and, you know, like even doing something quite commercial like these DJ parties, like just the expense of travel is enormous. And like... It is cheaper uh, to go to New Zealand from yeah, Melbourne than Perth. Well, yeah. yeah. And it's so, it's so restrictive, like in terms of what I can do because, yeah, so... Like, I think a lot of the funding is structured to kind of counter that a little bit and also to just try and counter that brain drain, which is huge. Well, you're so different to everyone else in Cabaret anywhere, I think. <laughs> For your mighty electro rain. Bam! <laughs> but, it's, I mean, that's also one thing about being from Perth is that, like, uh, there's no one... When I was doing it, getting started especially, there's no one to go, oh, that's not Cabaret, you know? Like, yeah. there's no one to kind of box you in and because you're competing with a limited range of other things, you end up kind of, you know, like uh, if I put on a, a weird fringy show of any description in Perth, it's kind of the only game in town in that, in that respect outside of the Fringe Festival. Like no one else really self-produces that kind of way. So, mm. yeah, it's nice in that way. Transition! You get to a level of of success where that's great. That allows you to do a lot more things but there's more restrictions on the things that you can do yeah whereas when you do sometimes being independent you go it's really hard this hell's really steep but i can go any way i want around well, that's it. it so there's lots of kind of the fringes are kind of a pile of shit as well i mean like the i mean i've worked in... do you mean festivals or do you mean just being a fringe artist well fringe artistry but like uh, <laughs> but also just like festivals like like they're, they're so fucking exploitive sorry i'm swearing i'm terrible you were allowed to swear on this one that's but, right uh, i'm so exploitive well, they're so exploitative i mean uh in terms of the way that they're structured you get it's like when you put a show at a fringe festival it's like when you put on a wedding uh and you tell people that are involved that it's a wedding all of a sudden everything is like three to four times more expensive and uh, yeah. you know, and, and like the reality services is services and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the reality is that all the, all your suppliers are actually like on an incre- a period where they they've got a lot more demand. So things should be cheaper. Like there should be a unionizing effect to that, but there isn't. Uh, yeah, blowing my mind. It's really annoying. I hate it. it, it I always say if it's a, if a, if like the right wing kind of you know free market capitalists had to sit down and come up with like a performing arts system that would come up with fringe festivals because they are just free market capitalism to the extreme. Horrible. So I try not to perform at them as much as possible, but I do like them. But is that a recent decision? Uh, well, I mean, it was, that was for the longest time I didn't perform at fringe festivals, really. Didn't I meet you in Adelaide Fringe? Yeah, but I think Adelaide Fringe was a little exception. It was different. Though. Where I was just uh, continually just testing that festival to see if something could work there. It was a few years ago too. So yeah, yeah. I talked to Alexis Dubas about about what happened this year, yeah. 2016's Adelaide Fringe, which was kind of straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that had been on the camel's back for a couple of years before that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I think when I met you, it, there was still kind of a nice vibe and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's a, it's. Not that I've a always had like in. to be fair, like I've always had a really crap time at that festival, <laughs> and um, like <laughs> that that and it's one of the reasons I didn't do fringe festivals for so long was I did this fest this season in two thousand and six. Uh, of a show called Thomas Ford's Cabaret of Death, which was very intense and very, very full on. Intense and full on? You never. Yeah, yeah. But it was probably like... And uh, Adelaide hated it. Flat out hated it. I was playing at uh, Producers, actually. Oh, yeah. But uh, um, it was called the East End Exchange at the time and it was where all the 17-year-olds would go to get drunk. Uh, Fun times. But, yeah, they just rejected it so hard. And it was just (laughs) like... It was was a formative negative experience. And I... uh, And I was just like, well... I'm not getting any, like, and when I was touring pubs and I'm playing, like, you know, like, shitty dive bars like the Toad or something like that, and you're like, well, if I'm getting a natural audience anyway and 
I don't have to pay a registration fee. I don't have to do all these things. And why am I doing it? So I just toured the live music circuit for a long time in this country. Mm. And it's still, I still think that that's like venue hire is so much cheaper. I love audiences in that world. It's like, it's a, it's a much easier thing to do and a much more artist friendly thing to do than to people just want to rip you off. But yeah, after that 2006, one, I, I decided not to do fringe festivals. It wasn't really like, I'm very honest oh, yeah. that like, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that I even, I even, uh, considered fringe festivals as a thing. You do get a bit stuck in them. Like I, I used to refer to it a bit, um, to, uh, to, uh, to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Metamorphosize a phrase from the livestock industry. One can get festival bound. Yeah. And, um, and you just feel like you've got to keep pouring whatever you get into the next one. Yeah. And you can get to a point where, cause it's how I started. It gives you a really good structure, mm. um, to get your deadlines and you, Makes you do th- if you don't know how to start a show, then picking a fringe reasonably wisely and choosing that to be your first uh, performance making experience gives you a lot of structure, and so you can learn a lot that way. But then it's kind of a point where it could go either way, where where you forget that you can ask yourself, "Can I do this outside of this structure?" Yeah, exactly. And yeah. what it also does to an audience is is important, and that's probably. Pretty uh, well illustrated with Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is a lot of the demographic that go to comedy festival don't see comedy any time outside of then. Yeah. And I know Craig Egan in Adelaide with um, Adelaide Comedy. That's one of it's become his slogan, which is that comedy doesn't end when the fringe ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Craig, if I've paraphrased <laughs> that, but you know, you you know what I mean. But he's right. I mean, that's that's right. Mm. Um, that room, which was started by Justin Hamilton, actually, I think, I think. Rhino Room was started by Justin Hamilton years and years ago. I think so. Well, I think so. Yeah. Who directed my last show? Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> he, he was really nice to my mum in Edinburgh. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He made me write a script. Boo. Oh, no, it was good. <laughs> it, was, it was hard, but it was good. <laughs> I learned a lot. Yeah. Which is what I'm trying to do right now is just going, oh, God, I've got to write a script. And you've just got to sit down and go, write it down, write it down, even if you think it's rubbish. Takes so long. I mean, I'm just rewriting at the moment and... Uh, yeah, I mean the rewrite has just taken so long. You just forget, like you forget how how much of your subconscious goes into it, and how much like like I, I can't work on it for that long before I'm burnt out, and then I kind of like I go away, and then I come back, and I've been thinking about it the whole time. It's such a yeah, it's a, it's a shit. Once it's on though, you're just gonna be like, oh, this is amazing, and you forget all the pain of the writing. Maybe. And then go off do another show. Or you can do what I did, uh, do the do the show. In the case of my my spy thriller themed cabaret, the final chase. Uh, the infernal it, chase. The final chase. Oh, the final chase. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, which is changing its title because that's apparently also the title of a very popular UK game show format. <laughs> uh, <laughs> deal or no deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like I performed that show. I took it to Edinburgh, Butterfly Club, Prague, uh, lots of places, and then realised uh, that narratively it was a bit of a mess uh, and I just couldn't see Forest for the Trees inside of it, yeah, yeah. which was a bit uh, bit frustrating, yeah. But, yeah, so that's what I'm rewriting at the moment, which is, uh, yeah, it's a lot of, it's just so boring. Sometimes it's harder to go back to something you've already written. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, you've got in your head, like it's almost like I have, I have the level of good that it needs to be in my head, yeah. but that's such a, like, that's such a vague goal. And, and it feels towards. unachievable and you haven't yeah. got the tools. You sort of go, where are the blocks? I'm in the dark and I have to build this thing. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of, I've ended up, uh, because it's quite a filmic show going through I guess screenwriting and stuff like that, like oh, kind of like, like like story st- narrative building, kind of screenwriting theory and stuff, and yeah. that's that's been really helpful. And it's a way that I I don't like to think about narrative. I don't like to think that we like try to fit things into specific beats and specific structures. But it's what screenwriters do all the time, and um, it's been quite handy, especially in terms of showing you where the gaps are in your story, where, where, you're, where you're definitely going to lose people. Transition. Speaking of deal or no deal, do you, you're familiar with the television program? I am, I am. Yeah. I'm from Perth, but we, we, we know television pretty well there. There's not much else. No, well, I didn't. <laughs> I never suggested that, even remotely. <laughs> 
No, but it's one of those shows where it started, I think it's English originally, and the English version with Noel Edmonds is very drab. Mm. And what they do is they take all these people who apply to go in and they, they keep them in a hotel. I make it sound like a hostage situation, but <laughs> I'm not sure it's not. Yeah. And and they um, they stay in a hotel together for a really long time and they one by one they have their episode where they have to open suitcases with amounts of money. I'm explaining deal or no deal on the Cabaret podcast. But I had a, a boyfriend once. I know. <laughs> Stay seated. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Who was convinced that deal or no deal, getting on that show was his way out Whoa. of the social situation he found himself in. And when, like, he would apply and go, well, that's it, that's it. It's not, it's not about getting a job or anything else. That's it. If I don't get on that, I'm done. Whoa. It's all over. But that's... I mean, you know, like knowing deal or no deal as I do, that's the worst situation to go into uh, into that show with because you're, you, you know, you're like you're gambling. You can't go in and be like, I'm going to risk everything yeah. and, like to try and like get like $100,000 or whatever. You're not going to. You're going to be like, whoa, $5,000. That's like, that's a whole lot of rent right there. Like Pounds. This was the English oh, one. Oh, yeah, the English one. Yeah. It was really... Bizarre. Same person, another story. Um, Dennis Hopper died. That was about the time we were dating. and um, He was great. But he died and this guy was a really big fan and he said with no, no shadow of, of, um, of levity about this statement or irony or any comedic twist, well, that's another one of my heroes I'm never going to meet. Ah, wow. And I just went, oh, man, this is... This is interesting. Yeah. You might be a bit too high drama even for me. Even for me. I still, <laughs> I still got dumped. Like, Ooh. I still didn't end it. But, wow, it was amazing. Mm. You've been mm. married for quite a long time. Do You don't have any disastrous no. relationship things. No, it's just weird. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of gross. I married my high school sweetheart. I didn't need to bring up your marriage. We don't no, have no, no, to no. do anything no, personal. No, 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 no that's fine. Mm. I'm, an, I'm an open book, Gerald. I know. Oh, well, I know um, you're married because it's a Facebook. Yeah. But, you know, like, that's... 11 or 12 years, yeah. Didn't you even have an embarrassing date or something? Uh, what, like uh, with, with... With her. With her. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, good. Yeah, I mean, like, we, we were dating when we were 17 and stuff. Oh, great. That's, yeah. that's peak embarrassment it time. It is peak embarrassment time, and we were both recovering teenage goths, so... Fantastic! And she was really heavily into the Fiona, Fiona Horn School of Wicca. Oh! <gasps> <laughs> so uh, it was it was quite it was quite the 1999 relationship. We all uh, look. We all had a look at that. I was big into my trench coats. We uh, all bought a few too many candles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a time. It was a time. <laughs> but uh, you know, I really like the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I was really moved in River Phoenix time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a friend who was actually such a crap goth that uh, when we went out in, in goth, as we sometimes would, like, you know, with our eyes, like, kind of looking angled upwards. And this is Perth? This is Perth. Oh, okay. Uh, he would do crow makeup. <gasps> yeah, like the crow. And, like, even within... It's about the film, not yeah. the ornithological beast. <laughs> but even within the confines of being a lame teenage, like, faux goth, <laughs> you know, you're just like, mate, like... Yeah, so we met during that, so we have plenty of uh, plenty of embarrassment. It's an embarrassment of embarrassments. The thing about teenagers, right? Like yeah. you, the thing is, as ridiculous as they look in any era, you do. I look at them and go, "Yeah, I made a decision fashion-wise that was <laughs> that was poor, and I was convinced that it was the best too. Mm. So I can't be too hard on you." Do you remember any of? What, uh, of myself? Of oh, yourself? Uh, well, I can't say that in first year of university. It was <laughs> the year 2000 and, uh, and metallic fabrics were fashionable for some <laughs> brief period. And I would just wear them as day wear. And the other important thing to know about, <laughs> to know about that is that at the time I had what you would call a body odour problem. So, oh, no! <laughs> so here's this sweaty, like, 17, 18-year-old boy, like, in metallic, like... And, like, I think... Around 2000, like, they were trying to be classy with metallic fabrics, so the tones were kind of like... I, had, I remember one was, like, mustard, like metallic mustard, short-sleeve oh. shirt. 
Um, <laughs> and just just imagine that in a physical theatre movement class. Oh God. In the Western Australian heat. Oh God. Uh, if any of my schoolmates are listening, uh, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I know now <laughs> what I didn't know then, and uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I destroyed a few things trying to make something I wasn't capable of making or not understanding the basic structure of clothes or shoes. But, uh, uh, but I, would just, I would just attach button badges to everything as well. Oh, I still do that. Is that wrong now? Yeah. But, you know, yeah. No, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. It's beautiful. I have a badge machine. Oh, that's right. I've got to talk to you about making some badges. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, not yeah. now because that would make for a very specific podcast. The reason I want to bring it back to... I got in trouble for bringing things back to myself too much in a podcast recently. Um, One comment that I didn't even publish and I've talked about it in three consecutive podcast records because I'm fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Post a quote. But the reason I keep coming back to me is because I don't want to try to embarrass my, the person I'm talking to. I want to say, don't worry. I did something stupid as well. But I honestly can't think of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my, my embarrassingness uh, was probably on a scale uh, not, not comprehended by the average mere mortal of uh, bad taste. Yes. I think I was much worse in my 20s, actually. Early 20s. Oh, yeah. That's the danger time, isn't it? Like Is that's, it? I don't know. That's when... Well, see, I, I've been having this ongoing conversation with my friends back home that... I'm less pretentious now than I was in my early 20s because I was unbearable in my early 20s. But they're all like... I can see that. They're all like, <laughs> ha, 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 as if you are the most pretentious fuck in the world. And I am. I am. I am. What? How? I don't think of you as pretentious. I think of you as having... Um, a- a studied artifice. Yes. Yes. I'm, I, I think it is when one lives in the suburbs of Perth and... Uh, Oh. One's friends are of the muggle persuasion. Uh, oh. <laughs> and, you know, one is, well, <laughs> one's hobbies include, you know, I don't know, learning French and, uh, like, knowing things about wine. You kind of like, <laughs> I'm, 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 I have to accept that I'm kind of pretentious. I am kind of pretentious. But then I, I, my argument with them is that, like, I am actually doing the things that I was talking about doing in my early 20s, which means it's not pretentious because you've actually doing it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just better than them. Is that, <laughs> so the ongoing conversation, the thrust of that is that is the argument of whether you were worse then or now. Basically. Transition. How old is your child now? He's a 10-year-old. No way. Way. 10? 10. I know. 10? Well... You've got to understand that I grew up in uh, Rockingham in Western Australia, which is uh, kind of the Frankston of Western Australia. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, basically before I left there, uh, there was a wave of all my friends getting married. And so, well, I was, and I, I got married after that, but still like it was kind of normalised by then. And then when I moved into the inner city, it was all of a sudden like nobody, nobody did that. Uh, it's just a whole different world. So yeah, we, we, we got married, we had Preston quite young, which was good. And it's actually been really good. Yeah. It's funny. Cause people like you are weird to a lot of us. I know. Yeah. I know another acquaintance, but he got married very young and he had, um, and he has a kid about the same age, I think. And you're, you're unusual in a way in your, in our kind of. Certainly in the arts. Yeah. The like arts, it's, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's a bit weird. And I mean, it's less weird now. Now it's kind of weird because, like, no offence to anybody. You mean less weird for you now? It's more weird for me now, but less weird for other people that I'm married. Oh, right. other people, like, now is, like, wedding season for, like, among artists my age. It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Painful. If you want to see pretentious, go to a wedding of an artist who's in their 30s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, basically. Oh, actually, I just saw some people at the front. It was um, it was cute, but it was unbearable. Like, they're in, like, kind of, like, lederhosen and they got into, like, a fake New York taxi. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, I, I, I thought, like, if, if you're one of these friends and you happen to be listening to this podcast... Uh, I apologise, but uh, all my friends are now having kids. Uh-huh. Like they're having kids now, and I've got a 10-year-old. And it's really hard. Like, And the difference between having a 10-year-old and having a six-month-year-old is enormous. Of course. And, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm past being able to be excited about babies again. Oh, like, I get I'm it. Like, I'm kind of, like, you know, like, you know, well, 
yeah, like lots of people. I mean, you've got that song about not being excited about uh, people's babies. Yeah, I have. I have nineteen nieces and nephews, and my si- little sister's pregnant again, so it's actually yeah. going to be twenty. And like, there's a period, like when you have a new kid, where you are like. Other kids are kind of excited. Exciting. You're like, oh, wow, for some reason I give a shit. And the, but at the moment, I'm finding uh, that it is increasingly difficult for me to care because I'm just inundated. <laughs> and uh, because I have a 10-year-old, people kind of expect that I'll be really excited about it. But I'm just... just I'm not. No. <laughs> no. And I don't know. I really like seeing kids, though. Like, I, I, I find children amusing when I see them. Yeah. Particularly, like, that eight months to about five or six years old, I think they're really fun when they're out. I, love, I point at ginger children. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just go, ginger, ha! at them. And usually to make their parents laugh. Mm. Or occasionally I've been known to point at a ginger child in a car park and say quite solemnly one of us <laughs> to make sure that the parent heard it and um, I've um, I know that sounds creepy but it's amusing okay I sound really freaky now don't I no, like, no you sound like an adult but it's uh, you know I, like, think, I think kids are fun yeah, yeah they are fun I, I want th- them I mean I, I, I'm <laughs> so much better with kids now that like I have had to deal with them on the regular basis and I would, I would go as far as to say that I am the neighbourhood cool dad which is quite helpful yes yeah um yeah, yeah, which is, I mean, aided a little bit by Preston being an only child in a low socioeconomic area who happens to get a lot of gifts. Um, so he's like the kid with all the cool stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, and so I kind of, by default, it's the house that, like, a house sometimes is swarming with children on a weekend. It's which, loud, isn't it? Yeah, and, like, initially was like, what fresh hell is this? Like, like we aren't even wanted one. uh, you know it grows on you and then i don't know and then all of a sudden you find yourself taking kids camping and you're like oh jesus what has happened to me yeah you haven't have you got any of those um those situations where you've had to make friends with a child's parents because your kid's friends with the kid but you're not that crazy about the parents it's actually one of the nice things about having moved i mean we got Perth real estate is very expensive and I used to live in Fremantle. We got priced out and we live in the suburbs now. Uh, but when we lived in Fremantle, mm. uh, like, it was just unbearable because, like, all the parents would assume that we were part of some fucking special friends friendship club just on the basis that, like, our children know each other. And, like, relationships, like, they don't work like that. They don't work um, like that. Whereas, like... In, in Yanjabap, where I live now, which Sorry, is... Sorry, can you say that again? Yanjabap, uh, which is... Yanjabap. Yeah. Yeah. It's the meth capital of Western Australia. Well, um, uh, well why didn't I know that? That's <laughs> <laughs> very... It, you know, it's, it's just... It's deep suburbia and... Um, it's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, like, local flavour kind of new hour words. Uh, but, yeah, it's a... I'm not really surrounded by my people there in any case, but they're not very social people anyway, so it's great. Like everyone keeps to themselves. Yeah, I don't have to go to, like, barbecues or anything like that. I'm not good at barbecues. I don't drink beer, so it's like a... And I don't know about AFL, so it's like having a yeah. social disability. You clearly don't know about AFL because you had so much trouble <laughs> trying to find accommodation on a weekend when I'm pretty sure there were two games on at the two major stadiums in Melbourne. I, I feel you. I live here. There are days when the Yarra feels like the wall <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Mm. When you're just going, I can't get across to the wildlings. Ah! So many emotions. Oh, man. I already had to deal with like catching up. My flight to Adelaide on Thursday was with the West Coast Eagles. Oh, really? And they, <laughs> and they just kind of like, they occupied the entire aisle space talking to each other. Like... Like, they ran the joint. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. Like, go away. Get your hairy arm things out of my hair space. Well, imagine being, you know, a 20-something-year-old guy who the probably the majority of society and people with money is saying, you're very, very important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all you've... And they would have been, you know, courted from when they were teenagers... And that's all that they are. You are, are we surprised that, 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 that sometimes just, a little cultural problem pops up every yeah, now and again? It's interesting because I mean it's not really a world I interact with at all. But, no, no, me um, neither. But it does affect us. And it was funny, like they're just—I mean—they're they're just wandering around. I mean, they're playing, and the 
lounge or whatever. At the and airport. that's this is not every AFL player. No, course, no, but, 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 but just the culture of it, like of this kind of and like, like some I don't know, like it was like a private boys' school going on school camp or something, and like they had like little adorable but extremely like infantile infantilizing kind of water bottles that were like little red yeah, footies like little sippy cups yeah they're like, they're like literally little red red footballs and i'm like oh that's so cute guys like when you grow up you're gonna like just look back on that and think oh well i grew up in uh, riverina district so i didn't have as much exposure to football because it was it was vfl then oh yeah yeah. And and it was when we moved to Melbourne that my I'd like to describe it as my disinterest became disdain. <laughs> and so I have friends who really love it and and some of them get quite, you know, um well, I'm not I'm not angry exactly, not exactly hurt either, but maybe a bit fed up with the anti-football league kind of chat. <laughs> but I have to kind of keep saying look, it's it's cricket, I'm fine, but it's just the uh, the way you can't get away yeah, in yeah, this yeah. city. You can't get away, and since it's become AFL, of course, it's kind of, we've kind of dragged you all in with yeah, us. Yeah. <laughs> well, Perth's got two teams, and it's pretty annoying. But I mean, we have other sports that are annoying as well. So. Like what's big in, in WA? Uh, like basketball. Basketball. Like big. surfs up nineteen ninety two. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's oh. uh, like because the the Wildcats moved into Perth Arena, and now every time there's a Wildcats <gasps> game, it's like the the city's full of people in red, and I'm like, where do you come from? Why do you, why, like, like it's, it's even more inexplicable than, than AFL to me. Like, it's just like, what, what, why, why this? Why, out of all the things, why this thing? I don't, I don't, I get it. Although we have had quite a few very internationally successful basketball players. Yeah, but like, on the other hand, who gives a fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Transition! Cabaret and basketball. There's a uh, there's a Venn diagram <laughs> with a large crossover in the middle. Cabaretasketball. Yeah. No. Basket cabaret. No. No. I'll work on it. There's a reason why those two words don't go together. <laughs> Basket ballet. No, that's something that, else. That could work. That could work. Come on, we got it. We need more funding in the yeah, arts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the ballet needs more this, funding. This, <laughs> this is what you're missing out on, Osco. This is the goal. Give us, give us multi thousand dollar triannual funding for our basket ballet. <laughs> we're gonna get engage, engage new audiences. We're going to like, we're, it's a, a cross cultural engagement, reaching out to people that don't often engage with the arts. <laughs> Let's do this. Such a good idea. <laughs> I'm really tired. I was up till five trying to edit things. You were up really late. Yeah, I had a DJ party in Adelaide for five hours of running around like a hyperactive dude. So I completely win. Last night. Yeah. Because this is the thing about being a guy from Perth, right? Like I can't be like, oh, I'm just going to go to Melbourne and do a one-off show because I would run at a huge loss. So I have to do two in a row uh, and usually two different markets, which is... Yeah, yeah. Well, you've got your fingers in a few pies, which is nice. I mean, that's what with with the band and that I do bits and pieces with, and then writing my own stuff. Yeah. And now with this as well, like it's nice to have a few things. So you've got what I first met you as, and then this this dance party thing, which is such a good idea. Yeah, working on. I am working on street performance at the moment because because mostly out of frustration from like turning up and doing DJ shows places and not having gigs on and just being a bit like. Wouldn't it be fun if, like, there was a way for me to do something, like, slightly more creatively satisfying than jumping around? You could pull out all your mustard metallic clothes oh, and then yes. paint your face mustard metallic and stand really still. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about, like, two different flavours of early Amanda Palmer here. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, I'm a conduit. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking into that because I think... Uh, the show that I put together this year, uh, I put together, well, I haven't really talked about it in this, these terms, but I, w- I went on a holiday to film some stuff for the Spy Show. Uh, it was kind of a holiday, working holiday in Singapore. And then uh, when I came back, I realised it was two weeks until my show opened and I hadn't done any work. <gasps> so I put together this cover show in two weeks and... Um, Apparently that's what I'm supposed to do instead of working on something for seven years like I normally do because it got like award nominations and did really well and like which one was this? This is uh, Thomas Ford's Craptacular. It's uh, I, I cover the worst songs of all time on that show, and uh, it was it did ridiculously well. And you're just like, ah, oh. it's the tricky thing. People like stuff they've heard. Yeah. Um, but when you write songs, 
it's hard to explain what you do. What's what we're saying yeah, at, the, yeah. at the start of the conversation. It's kind of like, Argh! and it's so weird, like just having this contrast because I'm still like the album of the Spy Show and the the reworked version of this Spy Show happens next year, and that. I mean, the original version took me seven years. It's been a two-year redevelopment. Like, it's like, it's just, it's really pushing. And the electric cabaret batch material, that was like, you know, that's basically 10 years. You're just like, and then, then to have something that's just been so easy and like, oh, that'll be near enough is good enough. And to have that work is just like, oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> sunglasses at night was that. Yeah, for me. it's the same kind of thing, and it's I guess it's I guess it's the accessibility of it. Well, people know what they're getting when they come in. Yeah, but you know, like it also happens. I mean, covers. I like I sometimes like to put covers in original shows anyway because they are a they're an import into an aesthetic. Like mm. you can kind of yeah show people the 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 the, the cut of your jib. As applied against some somebody else's work, and what Bono means like downplaying people who just do covers. No, I mean, it's no. really hard to do them well. It's just it's just the yeah. difference between trying to explain that to it's an outsider. It's just not our shtick either. Like I mean, like I, I, I mean, I, I think for me, like I love doing covers. It's interesting with that show that it's getting a different audience that are engaging with that work, uh, in a way that they wouldn't engage with mm. some of my other stuff, but. Um, but it's not like you know, like I, I I consider myself a songwriter almost as like a like a primary means of expression. That's my that's that's the way that if you really want to engage with my work, I would like you to engage with my original songs. That's me. And when so when, when I there's part of me that if I'm doing like you know like I'm ta- I've, I put the spy show on hold because Craptacular went so well, and then I'm taking to Edinburgh because I think it, it's a good fit for that festival. But like at the same time, I'm a little bit like. Oh, like I feel like I'm wasting time, like, no. and I feel constipated with material because you've just got this backlog of songs that you're not doing anything with. But I yeah. know. Mm. Matt Berry talks about how he just feels like he's got to do so much stuff, and mm. he's probably a couple of years older than me, and he's very prolific and does a lot of different things. I think he's really interesting. But I had the same feeling coming out of the Bowie exhibition. Mm. I just walked out and went. Oh my god! He just did everything all the time. Oh, yeah, Scott like, Edgar from Tripod went. Just feel like you've got to work a bit harder, don't you? you know, seeing I, all that. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it's funny because there was so much discussion about that around Bowie's death and like about like comparing his pe- yourself to him. I think he's a terrible role model for individual independent artists. I I love David Bowie. He's one of my all timers, but. He's a man who was supported like end to end by major label record company investment and by like a, the, like basically was the the ultimate recipient of that like major label resp- support like it worked for him in a way that it worked for very few others and like to try and compare your output no no that's not to what somebody I meant. that like had that support that's it, not what I meant and and for a start I think earlier on in his career that certainly wasn't true of the amount of support that you're referring to but I think the drive was the, was came before the support the support facilitated him being able to explore a lot of those yeah, things yeah, but, like, but I think that he was still that kind of thinker that went not it's not just enough to write a song I need to do all these different things I mean yeah. he didn't have to be painting in his 50s or 60s or whatever else he didn't have to do that but he was doing that as well as redesigning things and writing up scripts and whatever else. It was more the breadth, the pan, like the pan artist that yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was and that he was interested in so many things and that he had a red hot go at a lot of those different things rather than going, do you know, one day, and this is what I meant, which yeah. I tend to do, when you go, oh, I've got all these things I want to get out and I haven't, one day I'll do. I'm going to that exhibition made me come out and not compare myself, but made mm. me go. Was there a real reason I'm not doing that? I think I should have a go at that. Yeah. And the amount of satisfaction I've got out of the things that I've had that attitude to, and they've actually happened. Yeah. It's yeah, immense. Yeah. You know, it took so long to get that album, my last album recorded, so long. But it's it's done. <laughs> Transition. It's so hard to get the like the funds and motivation together to put together a cabaret record, though, isn't it? I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about your record, but I'm just aware in the process of putting together my own record. I that, like, brought you one. I didn't bring you oh, one. Oh, I would like one, but Sorry. we'll sort that out. I'll be back. But uh, like the, I found with my own stuff, it's like 
and and with other you know like I love like Dusty Limits put out a great record last year and um, I haven't listened to it yet. Cabaret I'm sorry, and a few Dusty. things like that. Uh, you know, there's some really great records out there, but uh, for an, for the cabaret audience, like the show is the thing, and then like the record, like I find it's it's almost hard to get them to engage with that. So it's uh, yeah. so then you got to make film clips. Well, yeah, and that's a whole other beast. <laughs> but the, yeah, and that's that is true though because that's I mean that's the I mean. With the, with the album I'm putting out, I'm doing it as a web series. That's kind of why it's taking so long as well because it's like, like my record sales are appalling, embarrassingly low, like sometimes single figures low, but my YouTube hits are really like often very high. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, and it just, it just, it, I think with my audience, they really want to engage with me on that, that, that visual, that, that whole aesthetic that intensity do you bring your records to your shows though because i think that historically the most i've sold has always been after gigs ah uh, people are aren't, probably aren't scared of you in the way that they're scared of me after they're shows, scared though. of you yeah, yeah no i'm i'm quite endearing yeah and uh i find that if you're not selling the records yourself people will just walk straight that past. is correct and yeah if i am selling records even any merch like people are always like i would love a thomas ford t-shirt and every time i print a thomas ford t-shirts Everybody is too scared to buy them from me <laughs> because I'm a very like I'm a very intimidating performer. Um, I get it, uh, and sometimes, and I'm not necessarily the kind of performer that you see, and the personas that I put forward are not necessarily the kind of thing where you're like, if I meet that person, that's going to be a good experience. Like, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I get that. That's fine. So, uh, but I just have to work around that. Yeah. Why do we do this? It's like. Who are we? It is the romance of this room. What have we become? I know, I know. But, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't mean to be a downer because I think, you know, people... Oh, you weren't. And the, th- right. the thing is also I think with this kind of stuff is that there's a great archival value in us recording and, like... You oh, know, you've like, done it. You've you done know. it. It's there. And I think especially with, like, the last album I put out was five years ago. <gasps> but, uh, but some of that material I don't perform anymore... And for the people in my audience that really connect with that, like it's become an important record for those people in a way that at the time it just didn't matter to them. So There's one show of mine that was never recorded and a few people, not a lot, single mm. figures again, have kind of gone, are you going to, that was my favourite show. And it was a real divisive show. And yeah, so I've, and there's probably, there are probably three songs, four songs on that that I really, really, really think worth, are worth yeah. recording. But um, do an EP. Well, I can do yeah, I can do an EP, but I don't know if I'll press it. I might just not press it. Yeah, because that's one of the biggest costs. Yeah, give me a couple of grand just to get it a physical copy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. See, I don't bother with that. I mean, like, I might, I might because I'm a sad Perth hipster. I may do vinyl, but like, um, I'm doing vinyl. Yeah, so I actually saw on your Kickstarter I was going to do it, but I was so poor. I was gonna, oh, I'm uh, glad I didn't because it didn't. Yeah, and then I was like, oh God, thank God I wasn't like, you know, like one of. The, 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 the people that pick that reward and then you're like, oh, fuck, I have to press it. But, um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like the idea of having vinyl just for myself, so I might do that. But, you know, CDs, like, I just don't sell them. Um, yeah, well, think yeah. of something. Yeah, I mean, like, I, and I find, I find uh, well, actually, when I took my stuff off streaming, because I've, I've been... Off streaming? Uh, yeah, but... Uh, <laughs> Because at, at the moment I'm kind of going through like this process of getting my online stuff into this entirely new shape uh, based around like I'm trying to get kind of a YouTube thing going basically in terms okay. of visual content because I'm a, a like I'm basically a video artist as well in terms of the multimedia component of my show. So, mm. um, so yeah, I'm trying to like get that like the kind of that video engagement that we're talking about before kind of on a weekly basis with people oh gosh wow yeah so that i mean it's exhausting but yeah, uh it's uh this is hard enough to edit like video yeah stuff. yeah but i don't know like i'm i'm quite a quick hand at it so uh, it's a good skill to have yeah yeah i don't know how that's happened but it just seems to and yeah works quite well so but you're saying you're taking everything off streaming. Like, who do you think you are, Prince? Oh, yeah, but I took it off because I'm basically going to relaunch it. Yeah, like a, like, no, that's good. Like, uh, because I am pretentious, we'll call it a digital re-release. <laughs> but uh, 
but you know, basically, you know, trying to get some excitement around that content again. And when I did, people were like, there were multiple people that were like, "Hey, where the fuck did that go?" And I was mm. like, "Oh, oh, people were actually listening to this. Oh, mm. that's a nice surprise." So I think streaming and you know, what do you where where can people listen to you if they want to? Well, the, the best way to get to my stuff is still YouTube because my videos are fucking cool. What's your YouTube? Uh, YouTube.com forward slash Thomas Ford, T-O-M-A-S-F-O-R-D. One of the nice things about having toured around doing non-fringe shows for so long, like doing pubs, is that I have like weird mates, like like just this really weird eclectic selection of like underground artists. So I know a lot of spoken word performers and poets and dance people and all like kind of all these weird genres just from having worked in all these different forms and um yeah so last on thursday night i was hanging out with this poet in adelaide in a record shop that he works at drinking red wine playing the worst 45s possible fantastic it was so good. <laughs> um yeah and then got to bed at four i think i had drunk like a bottle and a half of wine or something it was hot. That's nothing yeah I know, but i just i woke up and i just i was just Dead. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can wrap up. We got. We should have plenty. Like cool. We probably got. Oh, amazing. We got okay. fifty-five minutes. I can I don't, sit and talk about myself all day. So. I don't want to have to edit too much, but you know, it's just good we didn't only talk about fucking fucking arts. Yeah. We talked about football. Footy. We talked about you being a shit goth. Yeah. Uh, we talked about kids. Children, yep, and the expectations of parental friendships, mm. and an exciting place that has a name that I can't remember that you live the in. Yijiba, and we and we have invented, of course, basketball, 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 or basketball, basketball, basketball. Wow. No, <laughs> then it's basketball with ballet, but to ska music. Play scarboard. Fuck! I just jumped the shark. Someone give me an arts quote now. We've got them. We've got them. Make it rain, bitches. Make it rain. I'll make you suck at Brandis. <laughs> Thank you very much, Thomas Ford. Oh, thanks, Jordan. It's fun. Being pretentious, not being excited about other people's babies. <laughs> And fringe festivals. Really, we're fine. Thank you so much for listening to episode 17. Episode 18 will be coming out as soon as I possibly can get it up there. And if you do wish to purchase any of my CDs, please do. I have hundreds, literally hundreds. Please help me. This I can do. <laughs> Sitting in a cupboard. <laughs> Sitting in a cupboard. Chatting to a colleague. <laughs> See you next time we're losing money in the same place together. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Shut up.